We have to be careful with the claims that we make. We can't promise a 70-year-old she's going to have a 19-year-old vagina. It's not going to happen. That little fun fact by Dr. Somi Javed in her conversation with Dave Asprey on Bulletproof Radio. And it's part five of a sexual energy series where we learn what's possible for a woman in midlife going through perimenopause, why waking is not your fault and what to do about it, how to manage your hormones so they don't manage you, and what's love got to do, got to do with it. It's Tracy. Thanks for being here. And welcome to another replay of the day on this episode of Invisible You, a podcast for women over 40 living courageously. Anxiety, depression, Thinning hair, weight gain, extreme mood changes, moodiness, difficulty sleeping, low libido, digestive issues, night sweats, day sweats, just sweats, and not the cute matching sets that are sweats or the 50 shades of gray that you wish you had sweat sex, but the sheet soaking, clothes flying, heat radiating like you're dying in the middle of the night kind of sweats. And these are the days of our lives. As a 40 plus woman in hormonal hell, And along with the new and exciting changes that are perimenopause, time and gravity double down with the first fun physical signs of aging. And now that we're besties, both gravity and I, we work as a team to do all that we can to pull my every body part as close to the Earth's core as humanly possible. It's all truly the gift that keeps on giving. And also why God made push-up bras and spanks, because nothing defies age better than my boobs touching my chin. (laughs) Okay, so not to confuse what we think of as aging with getting old, because getting old is a state of mind. And if you don't believe me, check out the episode with Jane Fonda, who's 82 and younger than most young people. But aging or what I think of as aging, are the signs of change and hormonal upheaval that cause havoc in your life. And I feel like it happens slowly and over such a long period of time that it can tend to fly under your radar until, bam, you're in the crossfire, managing and reacting, convincing yourself, myself, along with the generous help of society that it's normal and You're just at that age. Things are starting to fall apart, like a well-worn pair of sneakers. Not really. (laughs) And while some things are definitely common, many don't have to be normal. And having some awareness around the potential pitfalls of what we're experiencing, it gives us the choice to do something about it rather than just accept it. And I don't blindly accept the norm, and neither should you, because what is doesn't always have to be. Question everything. We aren't sheep. We don't have to follow the herd into this quiet life of desperation. Life isn't quiet. It's noisy and messy and beautiful, and so are we. And remember our goal from the beginning of this podcasting journey? We want to be optimal. Normal blows. And 10 years ago, when my health started to decline, and I didn't know what the hell was going on, just that something was wrong, my desperation turned into my partner's frustration. And 
over time, this led to some really great advice. Like, I bet if you just eat a cheeseburger, it would probably fix everything. Shit, why didn't I think of that? Or do you think maybe you're just getting old? Head slapper, of course. I mean, I was the ripe old age of 35, which it is close to 40. And with basically half my life over, you could argue I was pretty much near death. So no wonder I wasn't feeling well. Although he is six years older than me and had zero health issues at the time. But I guess if you really think about it, I was 245 in dog years and maybe it was just my time to go. Fortunately, this old dog had some tricks up her sleeve. My options, suck it up and deal, or keep to myself and do things on the down low. I chose the down low. Because the alternative, doing nothing and getting worse, was not really an alternative. And I was sick, not stupid. So I became my own advocate. I did a shit ton of research. And I stood up for myself when no one else would. And you wouldn't believe some of the things people would say to me. Things like, I don't get it. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me, so there shouldn't be anything wrong with you, right? Well, that's not how it works, fucker, and I don't need you to get it. It's not my responsibility to make you get it. I just need you to accept it, accept me, because I'm done feeling bad for feeling bad. And whether it's a general illness or something more specific to women's health, I deserve better. And so do you. And what I love about Dr. Jovade is her passion and enthusiasm for women's health and her willingness to stand up and advocate for our right to equal, affordable care. Like Dave said, we aren't many men. We have a completely unique biology. And while we may be similar, we aren't the same, meaning we need a different standard of care. So it's March and we're celebrating Women's History Month, but it might be better to focus on women's health history this month, measuring where our health is now with where it's been so we can optimize where it's going. And while Dr. Jovade is doing her part, we got to do ours. And there's no reason to suffer needlessly like I did. It took until I was at my wit's end and my hair was starting to fall out before finally checking things like my thyroid and even longer to test my hormones that I knew were out of whack, causing dry skin, low energy, anxiety, you get it. And these things take about a year before really noticing the benefits after you start treatment. So you might want to get going now. And by doing our research, finding a good doctor, getting the right tests, all the things, we have way more agency over our body than we realize, and it's pretty damn important that we care for it on the inside as well as the out. The food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the thoughts we think, and the actions we take, it all affects who we are and how we express. And honestly, that's just the basics. Throw in a few hot flashes, a little murderous intent, and what seems like an overnight middle named after Baked Good, a.k.a. The Muffin Top. And we've got a perimenopausal party. No doubt, it can feel like a shit show. And many of us, like myself, are still in the middle of it. But no matter how overwhelming our anxieties might be, they will soon be resolved when we are dead and buried for all eternity. 
The X-Files, Season 10, Episode 3. This is when Special Agent Fox Mulder, the handsome and talented David Duchovny, questioned a therapist about a suspect he's treating. The therapist's prescription? Go for a quiet stroll through the local cemetery and remind yourself that none of this matters because that's where you're eventually going to end up. I'm currently binge-watching the entire series. It's so much fun. And believe it or not, that scene was hilarious. And the best part is when Special Agent Fox Mulder says, you really think that's sound therapeutic advice? (laughs) Knee slapper. (laughs) Nothing like thinking about death to spark a little life. I clearly have issues. So let's take a minute and celebrate. We're still here. We've made it this far, and we have many more options and opportunities than ever, but it's up to us to take advantage of them. And you can bet my flat ass that's exactly what I'm going to do, because healthcare isn't my only care. This lady needs a little cosmetic care. The latest tools and techniques that can plump our parts, resurface our surface, and shape our shape got me pumped no pun intended, to check out what else Dr. Javade has to offer because her office, it's only 20 minutes from where I live. And I'm thinking a field trip might just be what the doctor ordered. And for my research, she's not the only one that offers a 360 degree approach to women's health. I bet if you took a quiet internet scroll around your local area, you'd find a one-stop shop that suits your own needs as well. Let's talk about the vaginal lasers because I just like lasers. Lasers are awesome. So sneeze peeing, (laughs) vaginal dryness, uh, these are serious problems. And I have lots of friends, and I don't know why people tell me all their medical stuff, um, even though I'm not a doctor. And I've had some conversations like, seriously, you can't go on a trampoline? What's going on? So guys, if you don't know this, lots of women just kind of pee on themselves a little bit all day long after they have kids. What's up with that? And what do lasers do for it? Um, so lasers are very, very fascinating and you guys have gone a lot further in Canada than we have, but, um, I am a key opinion leader for a few devices. And, um, so we use core intima in our office and it is a CO2 laser, which has been used for decades in gynecology in surgery, but basically you can, you cause controlled injury. So it's this like pretty, very pretty pixelated pattern in the vagina. It's actually pretty painless, um, takes just a few minutes And basically the brain says, I've been injured. I need to repair myself, lays down new collagen, elastin, blood flow, because as we age, um, and even after babies, uh, our vaginas, if you break it down very simply, are like accordions. They have these big, thick folds um, called rugae, so we can stretch and accommodate our partners. And as we age, um, that tissue thins and it flattens and becomes more like a tube sock. Tube socks don't stretch. It hurts. Um, angles change, the pressure in the bladder um, exceeds the pressure in the urethra. And so when you cough or try to jump with your children on a trampoline, you can pee on yourself. And this collective syndrome is called genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And, you know, traditionally it's been treated with surgery or hormones, and we do all that in our office. But if there's a minimally invasive procedure that takes just a few minutes, um, and it's been proven, actually Health Canada gave the core intima two indications this past year that the FDA has still yet to do, both for GSM and for stress urinary incontinence. Now, would you rather have a two-minute procedure 
Um, or would you rather go to surgery, right? Um, I'm not shy. Um, and I've been invited to the FDA and I share my experiences with um, technologies and just clinically what's happening. And it's the FDA, but it's also ACOG that's really far behind. The American College of Detective and Gynecology have put statements out, you know, warning against lasers. And I think we have to be careful with the claims that we make. You know, you can't yeah. promise a 70-year-old she's going to have a 19-year-old vagina. It's not going to happen. But if you give people clear, concise expectations, education, 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 and empowering women to let them know that they have these choices... Um, I'm not going away. The technology is not going away and these problems are not going away. So we have to address it and change things and make this a more palatable conversation. Uh, women have to have more choices than just going under the knife or, you know, taking hormones if they don't want them. And frankly, some of my patients aren't candidates because of cancers or strokes or heart attacks. So we have to do better by women. One of the problems that a lot of people listening might not know happens by the time you get to be sitting on the board, you've probably been in practice for 25, 30 years, which means you went to medical school like 40 years ago. <laughs> and now I'm going to be really blunt. If you look at the membership of the ACOG, how many of them are old white dudes? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, as uh, not, not old and not planning to get old anytime soon, white dude, I really like vaginas. <laughs> right. But I didn't study them with my life's work. But even so, it, it feels to me like um, there's a bit of kind of patriarchal vibe there that's, that's always been there. Um, and it's it, it's hard to create shift there, but it feels like it's happening. It is happening. Um, you know, there's people like me that aren't going away, but I can't tell you how many times when I have been considered for a key opinion leader position or been asked to sit on an advisory panel and they see my CV and they're like, great, we want you. And then they'll send in someone to meet me, interview me and train me. And they're like, we're looking for Dr. Javade. I'm like, all five foot two of her is right here. And they're like, and they're looking at me and I know what they're thinking. And I'm like, what? Just say it. And they're like, well, you don't look like your typical speaker. And I'm like, mm, lots of Botox or I'll make a joke. And I'm like, I took all the same tests. I did the training. I've been in practice a long time. Um, I have a very successful practice. I see thousands of patients. Um, I can do the work. But you ever think it, about like adding some gray streaks maybe just to. <laughs> Dave, they're there. It's just colored <laughs> over. <laughs> Yeah. So um, it is frustrating, but there are, I mean, I have a, some colleagues and they're just as strong as I am and we're not shy and we're not going away and we're going to change the, the movement and we're going to allow women to come forward and, and say, Hey, this is a problem and we're not going to take this anymore. And it means research and FDA, but you're right. It has to be evidence-based. We have to it, produce it the data. Yes. And I'm, I've been interviewing a lot of, of people lately around um, women and fasting because only about a third of the studies on fasting account for differences between men and women. And I pulled them together and put a chapter in my new book, Fast This Way, um, about that specifically. And then it gets very interesting because the rules, although they're you know, broad category kind of ways of thinking about it, they're very different nutritionally for women in their fertile years. And then you go through the roller coaster of perimenopause, and then there's a different thing, set of things that generally work for menopause. And what I'm seeing over the last 15, 20 years of working with people as a, you know, sharing information, first on the nonprofit side, then just on the bulletproof side, 
is that women are way more willing to talk about perimenopause and menopause than they did before. It was almost, you know, you go back a while. It was almost kind of like a something you didn't talk about, like, like an unkept secret. And now they're saying, I'm having issues with perimenopause. What do I do? You know, I'm noticing these shifts and they're just super open about it, which is awesome. Uh, and guys are getting that way a little bit more with erectile dysfunction too, although no one likes to talk about that. I've done episodes on all those things, um, having not experienced either menopause or erectile dysfunction. But hey, you know, maybe maybe some of what I'm doing kind of works. <laughs> but what what I wanted do now is ask you specific perimenopause questions and they want to ask you menopause questions. Okay. Right. So when a woman says, okay, I'm about at that age where I'm probably going to start getting menopause or getting into menopause. Uh, and all of a sudden what worked last year, nutritionally exercise, sleep, whatever, and it just stops working. What's the first thing they should do? Well, go see their provider. <laughs> Okay, but, okay no. but you go see a provider and you're like, I don't know, like I don't sleep very well, like oh, here's some ambient. Like what do you right. ask your provider? Because you see your provider, like you're talking about this whole universe of stuff, half of which you don't even recognize is tied to right. perimenopause. So I talked to them about weight gain being very, very common as part of the perimenopausal and menopausal years. And I'm a big believer in fasting. We talk about intermittent fasting. It's helped me on my own journey. Um, but I do explain to them hormonally what's happening. And so, you know, FSH levels are increasing which is slowing down their metabolic rate and causing them to deposit fat in areas they have never done, i.e. the middle age spread. And we talk a lot about intermittent fasting in our office. We talk about weight loss medications and we talk about checking their hormone levels and then making sure that they don't have thyroid dysfunction. Um, Thank you for saying that, that part. It's yeah. rampant, especially in yeah. women more than in men, right? And it's one of the biggest mimickers of menopause, right? Because it can ha cause temperature problems, sleep problems, and people go undiagnosed, especially women. Um, and then, you know, changes with hair and everything else. So we look at all of those levels. And then if they're complaining about fatigue or anything else, we talk a lot about, like I said, fasting. I like to shift the blame away. So many women come in and they've been basically told to push away from the table or they're lazy or they're not exercising enough. It makes and me so mad. <laughs> it, it, and polycystic ovarian syndrome, you know, that causes so many problems with insulin resistance. And, um, but basically I tell them about the study and you're probably very familiar with this, but they took, and I'm not comparing us to mice, but they took uh, two subsets of mice. They injected one half with FSH, making them menopausal and the other half not. And then they got the same grain same exercise, all, not most, all the FSH mice became obese. And so those are the changes that are happening. And so I tell them it's not going to work anymore, not because you're to be blamed. And so we have to fix this. And there are things that we can do to change your metabolic rate and to keep you at a weight that you are confident at, that you want to be at. We also talk about goals and getting away from social media and what they perceive as perfection and what a 50 year old needs to look like versus what they actually want to look like. And so it's managing expectations and giving them real goals and talking to them about their options. You said something that made me happy around changing metabolic rates. Uh, yes. That is pretty much a function of how your mitochondria work. What are the tools you use for perimenopausal women to increase their metabolic rate so that their bodies do what they want them to do? Well, number one, um, if there are any deficiencies in hormones, specifically testosterone, I will make sure that they're on testosterone so they have yeah. the appropriate muscle mass. 
Um, I encourage exercise. And then obviously, like I said, rule out anything else, but I tell them to fast and, um, you know, get their insulin levels to come down. And so that the thing, those are the things that I recommend to them. Fasting for women is controversial because you have definitely eating disorders, um, and they're, they're a thing. Um, and they're a thing for men and women, although a lot of guys with eating disorders become bodybuilders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, the, the, this is a thing. Uh, and not all bodybuilders by a long shot, but it can be like, I'm just not happy, so I'm going to you know, go for it. Um, but if you take that out of it, the fasting regimen that works for a guy, oftentimes in my experience for 10 years of hundreds of thousands of people on the Bulletproof Diet, is that it's a little bit too aggressive for women. Um, is there a schedule of intermittent fasting that you find works best? Actually, let me ask you three questions in one. Give me the fasting schedule you like for women in their fertile years, women in perimenopause, and women in menopause. How does it change? Ooh, can't wait to hear this answer. Oh, God. Um, so this is not based on data, right? This is just based on cl- what I'm doing in well, my office. clinical experience is data. It's precious okay. data. It's actually the most <laughs> useful data. It's just not like double-blind, placebo-controlled, blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just, yeah. So 14, year, uh, 14 hours for my younger patients, 16, 18, for as you're getting into perimenopause and menopause. Um, and personally, I'm finding that, you know, 14 no longer works for me anymore. I have to push it to 16 and 18. And depending on whether they're trying to maintain or whether they're trying to lose weight. Um, and so when they've lost the weight or gotten to their goal weight, then we back down again and let them go back to 16 hours or 14 hours, whatever was working for them. Do you do this every day? Do I fast every day? Yes. Or or do you recommend it for patients? You're, You're seven days a week. I'm seven days a week right now. Wow. But and, for, and that works for most of your patients. <laughs> yes. Um, although I will tell you, I'm seven days right now. You didn't ask the question because COVID was not kind to me. So I'm not at my baseline right now. So, you know. Oh, so you're, you're losing some weight. So you're pushing yes. it. Okay. Yes, I'm pushing oh. it. Um, yeah, I, there was too much wine and pasta, you know, in 2020. So <laughs> it, it happens sometimes, uh, especially if it's really good wine, right? The yeah. <laughs> The... The studies um, that I've seen, there's one from Dr. Murad out of Australia, who's just on the show. Um, she was finding that even three days a week of 12 plus, ideally, you know, 14 or 16 hours for women was having very meaningful effects on their metabolic rate, and it wasn't suppressing their immunity. Um, but a lot of women um, I've seen go into this, okay, 14 hours a day is amazing, and I feel really good. So I'm going to go to 16 and I'm going to go to one meal a day. And at a certain point, um, and this is almost like, like really predictable. Like I wake up and I don't feel good. I feel like I didn't sleep enough. And then even if they did sleep enough or they wake up in the middle of the night and then they say, well, now my cycle is not what it used to be like, like things are getting irregular and then they're getting thin hair. It feels like they're getting too much cortisol. They're not eating often enough. How do you, I mean, seven days a week is pretty aggressive uh, for a lot of women. How do you recommend they start fasting versus once you're used to it? Is, is there a gentler approach or do you so, just yeah. like, go for it? No. So it also depends on, I have the ability, so I have their labs in front of them, right? So I have their CMP. I know their insulin levels. I know their hemoglobin A1C. I also have their ob- objective data with their weights and everything else. So that helps. Yes. So if they're pre-diabetic or heading down a disastrous route, then, I'll, you know, and I, or if they're very resistant or they're scared, 
We'll start, I'll tell them start at 12, like just stop snacking after dinner, you know, stick to water and um, in the morning have coffee with no cream in it. So small steps, baby steps, right? Because I, I treat women with eating disorders. I don't want them to develop that because they're so fixated on this. And, yeah. and then I tell them as it becomes palatable and they're feeling okay to increase. I also, like you said, we have this multidisciplinary approach I have providers who specialize in weight loss, and I also work with nutritionists. So to make sure that we're not seeing hair loss or we're not seeing vitamin deficiencies. So because we have all of that available to in our office, we're able to make sure that they don't fall into a negative pattern or end up causing more damage by trying to fix the underlying issue. Um, But the feedback I I get is the cravings are better. Like they actually feel better. They don't feel like they're in carb comas anymore. They're not craving foods. Um, They have more energy. So for sure. Um, And with my polycystic ovarian patients, um, you know, the PCOS plan is a book that I recommend that they've read. And so then they know that even during their eating hours, what choices are better for food Um, and staying away from calorie counting or points. I feel like that puts too much pressure on patients. Um, And so hours seem to be a little bit easier. But yeah, during weight loss, I will recommend seven days and then maintenance, obviously back down and then obviously weekends, you know, let them have fun, let them relax. But absolutely. Low libido. Talk to me about why that happens. Um, so many reasons. So low libido is multifactorial. I tell people, imagine walking into a cockpit of a, of a plane and looking at all those buttons and dials. So it can be relationship. Um, if you don't like your partner or you're not attracted to your partner, that has a lot to do with it. Neurochemistry. If we have too many inhibitory signals in our brain and not enough excitatory signals, hormones, as we age, our ovaries produce less and less testosterone. There was a consensus statement two years ago that testosterone is key and vital for women in all the domains of sexuality. Um, you know, our, our lifestyle, you're working third shift, he's working second shift, you have young babies in the bed, um, medications, illness, mm-hmm. um, their stress, you know, you're stressed about money, you're stressed about the pandemic. Uh, there are so many things that can interfere um, with sexuality. And the truth is that one out of every 10 women struggle with something called HSDD, right? We changed impotence to erectile dysfunction. We call low libido, which I feel like blames women, um, hypoactive sexual desire disorder. Um, and one out of every 10 women suffer from it at some point in their lifetime. I really enjoyed this and the rest of the interviews in the Sexual Energy series hosted by Dave Asprey. Check them all out if you get a chance, along with the full episode number 791, New Options for Women's Sex Lives on Bulletproof Radio. Links to that and both Dr. Javade and Dave's social media are in the show notes below. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and share with someone you think might benefit. And until next time, thanks for listening.